the women and the children. So uh, if it's anything like modern day, if there were 5,000 men, there were more women and children there than the men. So there might have been 25, 20, 25,000 people there. Who knows? Okay. But there was a large number of people. It's the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, it is the only miracle in the Bible that is recorded in all four of the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I believe the reason for that is that I do not believe there's any miracle in the Bible that indicates more how we can evangelize the world than this particular passage. Uh, let me give you the other places where it's found. In Mark chapter 6, verses 35 through 44, and in Luke chapter 9, verses 12 through 17, and in John chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, and uh, it, it, it would be good for you to read those passages when you uh, go home tonight or sometime tomorrow and so forth. And, and note, notice all of the things that led up to this. Uh, if we were reading from the passage in Mark chapter 6, uh, you would find that uh, this took place right after the disciples got back from a mission trip. He had sent them out two by two. And they had gone and he had given them power to heal the sick, uh, you know, to, to uh, uh, cast out demons and all those things. And the, these men had been working day and night and uh, they, they came back and they were reporting all that Jesus had done uh, through their ministry on their mission trip. And it was right after the beheading of John the Baptist. So there, there, there's a lot of stress among the disciples at that time. Very, very tired. Uh, I've always thought that all of these disciples were Baptists until one day I was reading this passage and it said that they had no leisure, uh, even as much leisure as to eat. And I thought, well, they may not be Baptists, okay? <laughs> uh, Baptists might get busy, but we don't ever get too busy to eat, amen? <laughs> but anyway, they, they, uh, they were very busy and they, they were tired and and uh, you remember what Jesus said to them, come apart for a season. Come apart. And uh, I think it was Vance Havner that said, uh, if we don't come apart occasionally, we'll come apart. By the way, rest and relaxation are not bad words. They're good words, you know. And uh, these disciples were very tired. And, and Jesus said, I want you to come apart. And in reality, they're going on their vacation, okay? They're going to have a few days and they can just sit around and read or sit around and discuss things or maybe go fishing or go swimming or, or, or whatever. If they were real spiritual, they might have gone golfing, okay? But uh, well, whatever they wanted to do on their vacation, they were doing that, you know, and they were having a great time. So let's read the passage, okay? Look at verse 15. Matthew chapter 14, beginning with verse 15. And when it was evening... His disciples came to him saying, this is a desert place and the time is now past. Send the multitude away that they may go into the village and buy themselves victuals. But Jesus said unto them, they need not go depart. Now, if you have your pen in your hand and you want to underline something, uh, this would be a good thing to underline in your Bible. They need not depart. Look at it. Give you them to eat. Give you them to eat. By the way, that's the title of my message tonight. Give you them to eat. And they said to him, 
we have here but five loaves and two fishes. And he said, bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down in the grass and took the five loaves and the two fishes. And looking up to heaven, and here's three good words, okay? He blessed and break and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled and they took up of the fragments that remained 12 baskets full. And they that had eaten were about 5,000 men beside the women and the children. Dear Lord, speak to our hearts tonight through your word. We are totally dependent upon you. We, we recognize the reality of the passage in John chapter 15 when you said, without me, you can do nothing. And we recognize that tonight. But we also recognize the passage in Philippians chapter 4. With God, we can do all things. And I pray that you'll speak to the hearts of your people through your word tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In John chapter 19 and verse 30, we find these words. The Lord Jesus Christ, just before he breathed his last breath. And here is the, the passage. It is finished. John chapter 19, verse 30. It is finished. And then he gave up the ghost. It is finished. It's three words in our English language. Uh, in the Greek language, it is only one word. Uh, it is the word tetelestai. Tetelestai. And uh, it's a legal word. Uh, it, it, something was totally paid off. They would utter the words and put the stamp on the mortgage. Tetelestai. It is finished. It is paid in full. It's uh, like an artist when he uh, puts the final touch to a picture and then he steps back and he looks at it. It's all done. I've done everything I can to it. Tetelestai, it is finished. That's what Jesus is saying just before he breathes his last breath. It is finished. What does it mean? It means I have done everything my father sent me to do. Uh, it, it means that uh, I have suffered and bled and died, and I have done everything that is necessary in order for mankind to be saved. Uh, it is finished. Salvation is a finished work. It is finished. Now, thank God he didn't say I'm finished. Amen. Because he wasn't finished, okay. Uh, they, they were going to take his body down from that tree. <clears throat> and they were going to put him in a tomb. And put a big rock at the mouth of the tomb. But on Sunday morning when the ladies went out to look for the body. To, go to anoint the body and so forth. They were wondering how can we roll away that big stone from the mouth of the tomb. And when they got out there. Uh, the stone had been rolled away. And by the way, it wasn't rolled away so he could get out. <clears throat> it was rolled away so they could see inside. I'll never forget going to the Holy Land and going to the garden tomb. And we had, of course, a, a Jewish guide. And uh, there, there is a controversy whether 
uh, his the place of his burial was the garden tomb or whether it was a, a church of the Immaculate Conception and so forth. Of course, we all knew it was the garden tomb, okay? Anyway, the Jewish leader, he didn't know that. But he said, we're not sure which tomb it is. And, but then he said, now think about it, he's a Jewish guy. <clears throat> he said, but it didn't make any difference. He's not in either one of them, amen? <laughs> and thank God he's not. When they got out there, the stone had been rolled away, and the angel said, why seek ye the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Go see the place where he lay. He used to be laying there. He's not there anymore. He's alive. Thank God we serve a living Savior. Amen. And he's as much alive today as he was that day when he came out of the tomb. It is finished. It is finished. After Jesus' resurrection, uh, he appeared on several different occasions to his disciples. We call them the post-resurrection ministry or appearances. I want you to listen to what he said after he had been crucified and buried and raised from the dead. He had done everything that needed to be done in order for mankind to be saved. And I believe from the depth of my heart that when Jesus Christ died on Calvary, that his rich, red, royal blood was sufficient to save everybody that had ever lived or was living then or would ever live. First John says he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Thank God. Amen. Now listen to Jesus. He's speaking to his disciples. That's us. And by the way, as I read these, we are to assume that we have as much responsibility in the 21st century as they did in the 1st century. Can you imagine if they had failed? What was plan B? God didn't have a plan B. If they'd have failed, we'd have never heard the gospel. Thank God they didn't. If we fail in this generation... There were many that will perish and die and spend eternity in hell and never hear the gospel message and could honestly say tonight, Nani Yesu, who is Jesus? Listen to him tonight. He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's simple enough, amen. Every once in a while I meet people and say, you know, my biggest problem, Brother says, is I don't understand the Bible. Uh, it'll be hard to understand, misunderstand this. There's not a difficult word in there. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You remember when he was resurrected, he told the women, go tell my disciples and tell them to meet me in the mountain in Galilee. And they met, and then notice what it says. And then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And by the way, if we did not have that assurance, all power is given to me in heaven and earth, then the next part of this verse would be an impossibility. 
But after he said that, he said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. You think about it. When we are involved in the Great Commission, we are working with omnipotence. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Listen to him. Then said Jesus unto them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And I want you to notice the construction of that sentence. As my Father has sent me, think about it for a minute. Was it necessary that God send his son to the earth to suffer and bleed and die for sinners? Sure it was, okay? Now think about it. As my father has sent me, even so send I you. And Jesus was saying to his disciples, and he's saying to you and me tonight, just as it was necessary for me to suffer and bleed and die for sinners, it is necessary for you to get involved in getting the gospel to a lost and dying world. In the book of Acts, we read these words. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the time or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. You know what they said? Hey, Lord, let's have a, mission. Let's have a prophecy conference. Okay, tell us about the coming in. You know, tell us about setting up your king. Let's have a prophecy conference. Notice what Jesus said. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. You know what he said? No, no, no. We're not going to have a prophecy conference. We're going to have a mission conference. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I want you to think about three simple things tonight with this in mind. Number one, think about our great responsibility. Think about the responsibility of those early disciples was to evangelize the world. And every generation of disciples has the responsibility to evangelize their generation. Listen to Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. When he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. <coughs> then said he unto his disciples, Listen to this, church. The harvest truly is plenteous. There's a big harvest. But the labors are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth labors into his harvest. That is the only prayer request that Jesus Christ ever made. And he's saying to his disciples, he's saying to you, he's saying to me, 
Pray ye, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he'll send forth laborers into his harvest. Could I ask you a question tonight? How long has it been since you've been obedient to the Lord's only prayer request? How long has it been since you spent any time <clears throat> praying that God would call forth preachers and missionaries and evangelists? The harvest truly is plenteous, <clears throat> but the laborers are few, and the, the, the answer to that is that God's people would pray for the harvest field. We talk about, a lot about prayer. The only thing is, we, we don't, really don't pray a whole lot, do we? I'll never forget in Lynchburg, Virginia, many years ago, at the Madison Heights Baptist Church, where David Rawson was pastor. We were eating lunch in a home of a wonderful Christian family, a beautiful home, and uh, we were just having a good time. And all of a sudden, uh, the, the mother, the hostess in the family there, said to Brother Rawson, she said, Pastor, Every mission conference, I get very nervous. <clears throat> and he inquired, why, why do you get nervous about a mission conference? And she said, wait, you know, we have two teenagers, one's 15 years old, one 17 years old. Both of them are very dedicated Christians. And I'm scared to death that God's going to call one of them to be a missionary. And I don't believe I could stand to see my children go to the mission field. Say, Brother Sisk, is that kind of common? I, I don't know. I hope it isn't. But I don't know. But I do know one thing. It's not very Christian. Finish it for me, okay? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Would you pray this week? that God will send forth laborers from Central Baptist Church. And by the way, a lot of times when you start praying for laborers, God will say, okay, you're the one. That's all right. That's all right. And would you pray for your children and older people? Would you pray for your grandchildren? Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth laborers into his harvest. What a great responsibility we have a great responsibility. The Bible says when he saw the multitude and when Jesus Christ was here on the face of the earth, the world's population was fewer than 300 million people. That's smaller, uh, a less, uh, that's fewer people than the population of the United States of America. 300 million Christ people. <clears throat> And the world's population did not reach one billion until the year 18 and 4. Then in 1927, it became 2 billion. 1960, it became 3 billion. In 1974, it became 4 billion. 1987, it became 5 billion. 1999, it became 6 billion. 2011, it became 7 billion. And 2021, there are 8 billion people on the face of the earth. What a great responsibility. Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. What a great responsibility. By the way, from 
7.30, or I guess it's later than that now, okay? It's 8.12, okay? But from 8 o'clock last night until 8 o'clock tonight, 160,000 people died. Now, we, we heard the news today, and now there's <clears throat> over more than 25 people that, uh, that have died in, in the Nashville area uh, that were killed in the uh, storms that hit there last night. We think 25 people, but think about it. Worldwide, there were 160,000 people that died from last night at 8 o'clock until tonight at 8 o'clock. You say, okay, brother, sis, so what's the big deal? I've read my Bible through many, many times. And I cannot find but two destinations after death. One of them is heaven. The other one is hell. And by the way, if there's no hell, there's no heaven either, okay? Because the same Bible that preaches, teaches about heaven teaches about hell. So from last night at 8 o'clock till tonight at 8 o'clock, 160,000 people entered eternity. <clears throat> and every one of them, no middle ground, every one of them went either to heaven or to hell. Our great responsibility. And secondly, I want you to think about this. You remember when they came to Jesus and said, uh, it, it, it's evening now and these people are getting hungry and Look at verse 15. And they said, send them away. Send the multitude away that they may go into the village and buy themselves victuals. Think about it. These disciples were on vacation, okay? And when they got out there, here's this multitude of people and <clears throat> Jesus begins to preach to them and minister to them and instead of having vacation, now they're faced with some great responsibilities. Now, I want you to notice their attitude. What kind of attitude did those disciples have? They were resting. They were fishing. They were swimming. You know, they were having a big time. And all of a sudden, here's this big multitude of people, and they got to do something for them. So the first attitude they had was they were calloused. They were calloused. Look what it said. Send the multitude away. We're on vacation. <clears throat> I mean, you know... Uh, Maybe some other time, but not now. So, Brother says, what about the great multitude of people that are lost and dying and going to hell? I've got my life all planned out. I know what I'm going to do. I know where I want to live. Uh, I know what kind of lifestyle I want to be. You know, I, I want, I've got it all planned out. I don't want to be bothered with the need of the world. The calloused. The calloused. Send them away. And sad to say, <clears throat> even among God's people, people who have been born again, people who can give you the fact that they are assured that they're saved and going to heaven, there are many people that are callous toward the needs of the world. I heard one man say to another, what do you think is the greatest problem in our churches today? Ignorance or apathy? And the other man replied, I don't know and I don't care. You know the sad situation? <clears throat> Could I have a drink of the water, preacher? 
चेस्ट में आगे बैठ The sad thing is that many people never take time to think about the needs of the world. Eight billion people. Every day, 160,000 people die. And they go either to heaven or to hell. And many of God's people are calloused. They don't pray, they don't give. They don't witness, they're callous. Then there's another person. We notice, <clears throat> if you read it in John chapter 6, the Bible says, When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company coming to him, he said unto Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? Hey, by the way, when Jesus asks a question in the Bible, when God asks a question, remember God was. Uh, uh, walking in the garden one day, and Adam, where art thou? When God asks a question in the Bible, He's never asking for information. He's omniscient, amen. He knows everything. But He asks the question to get them to consider, to get them thinking. And He said to Philip, When shall we buy bread that all these may eat? And then He said, And this He said to prove Him, for He Himself knew what He would do. Okay, Philip, what about this great multitude? What are we going to do? Listen to Philip's answer. Philip answered him, 200 pennies worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. And Philip said, Lord, if we had two thirds of a year's salary, it wouldn't buy enough bread for everybody just to get a little bite of bread. So we have the calculating. The calculating. Well, you know. What little bit we have uh, doesn't, doesn't make any difference at all, the calculating. Can it really be done? In、uh, February of,、uh, actually January of 1964, I went for it in our service that Sunday night, and I'd already told my pastor about it. And I, I let the Calvary Baptist Church of Harvey, Illinois know that. Uh, I would be going to Japan as a missionary and I'd be resigning my position there in the church. <clears throat> and the next morning, I went to the World Home Bible League to get a, a, some Bibles because、uh, you could get free Bibles there. And as I'd visit from house to house and in the hospitals and so forth, if I found somebody that didn't have a Bible,、uh, I'd always give them a Bible from the World Home Bible League. And I went to the World Home Bible League that Monday morning to get some. Uh, uh, Group of uh, uh, several Bibles. <clears throat> And when I went in, the, I passed by the office of Dr. Chapman, who was the founder of that organization. And he said to me, He said, Hey, Don, when you get your Bibles and put them in your car, he said, Come back and let's have a cup of coffee together. And we had done that before. And so I went in, I had, we were drinking coffee, and we were talking about different things. And then I told Dr. Chapman about what I had told my church that I was going to Japan as a missionary. And I'll never forget him asking me a question. He said, Don, do you believe we can evangelize the world in our generation? And you know,、uh, Pastor, I, I've thought about that question, I don't know, I, hundreds of times, I guess. And I cannot, for the life of me, remember what I said to him. Now, I'm a Baptist preacher, and I'm positive I didn't say, I don't know, okay? 
I'm sure I had an opinion. We all, it's like a nose. We all have one. Amen. <clears throat> I'm sure I had some kind of opinion. I probably expressed it to him. But I remember as I was visiting that day in the Harvey area, thinking about the question that Dr. Chapman had asked me. And all I could think of was, you know, it's not for us to sit around and figure out whether it can be done or not. We just need to do it. Some phase of the service, I don't know if it's the Marines or the Army or Navy or Air Force or Boy Scouts or what, okay. But they have this saying, it is not ours to reason why, it's just ours to do or die. Well, Brother says, can you, <clears throat> could we really evangelize <clears throat> 8 billion people? And by the way, when I say to evangelize, it doesn't mean that we're going to get them all saved. We know that's not going to happen. But I believe from the depth of our heart that God does expect us to give them the gospel. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful if every born-again child of God got so involved in world evangelization that nobody in the world could say, Nani Yesu, who is Jesus? You say, Brother says, that's a pipe dream. No, it isn't. God commanded it, so it's a possibility. The calculating. Then there's one more. Listen to this one. John chapter 6, verse 8 and 9. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, there's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? Hey, there's a little boy here. He's got a lunch. He's got five biscuits and two fish, okay. But with all these thousands of people here, what is that among so many? So we'll call them the cautious. Well, you know, I've got a little bit, but, you know, what little bit I've got is it going to help anybody the cautious so you have the calloused and you have the calculating and you have the cautious but then there's another one look up if you will in verse 14 of this chapter Matthew 14 look at verse 14 and Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with Got your Bibles open? What does it say? Compassion. Was moved with much compassion toward them, and he healed the sick. Compassion. There was the calloused. Don't bother me with it. I'm busy. I've got my life planned out. I've got my budget failing. You know, don't, don't bother me with the need of the world. The calculating, what well, can it really be done? The cautious, I've got a little bit, but what difference would a little bit make? But then you have the compassion, Jesus. And some having compassion makes a difference. Uh, there is one absolute necessity for success in the work of God, and that's compassion. God uses all kind of people, all kind of methods and so forth. But if we're going to accomplish anything for the glory of God, there's got to be that compassion. And someone as well defined compassion is your hurt in my heart. 
Compassion is not pity. It's not a matter of looking at those people in the Republic of Congo and saying, oh, I feel sorry for them. But it's like Caleb and Kelsey. It said, we're going to do something about it. By the grace of God, we're going to go and we're going to learn their language and we're going to live with them and we're going to get the gospel to them and we're going to tell them who Jesus is. Compassion. If we're not careful, we'll be calculating, we'll be cautious, we'll be callous about the needs of the world. But wouldn't it be great if we, like our Savior, would have compassion? What's your attitude? What's your attitude toward the eight billion people that are lost and dying and on their way to a devil's hell? And their only hope is that someone will preach the gospel to them. Because the Bible says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Nobody is going to heaven unless they hear the word of God. In closing tonight, and don't get too excited. Sometimes it takes me a half an hour to close, okay? <clears throat> but in closing, here's one more thing, okay? What difference, what difference can one disciple make? Now, every one of you sitting here tonight, if you're born again by the Spirit of God, if you've been saved, you're a disciple. What difference can one disciple make? Just one person. Let me give you a story. You've probably heard it. Many years ago, there was a Sunday school teacher that had a great burden for all the members in his class. He taught a class of young men. Uh, you know, like 16 to 20 years old, something of that nature. One of his class members was a shoe salesman in a department store. And Mr. Kimball one day went to that department store and he spoke to the young man and said, when you get a break from your work, uh, let, let, let's go to a room and I'd like to talk to you about something. And, and he took this young man to a room and, and he began to tell him, you're in my Sunday school class and I appreciate your coming. Uh, but I, I don't know whether you're, you're saved or not. And I, I want to tell you how you can know for sure you're saved and going to heaven. And he explained to this young man uh, the gospel message. And uh, they, they tell us that when Mr. Kimball left the, the department store that day, that he sort of felt like he had not done a good job. But that day, a young man by the name of Dwight Moody trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior. And uh, I, I tell you, the story of Dwight Moody, if you've never read a biography, you ought to do it. It's one of the greatest, greatest Christian testimonies in the whole world. He never had anything more than a fourth grade education. But once he got saved, began to get a burden for souls and started Sunday school classes in Chicago and uh, eventually started a Bible college in Chicago and preached all over the world and preached to great multitudes of people. Thousands and thousands of people were saved. Dale Moody. What difference can one man make? <clears throat> one day Dale Moody was preaching and a man by the name of Wilbur Chapman got saved. And Wilbur Chapman became a big portion of the YMCA and things of that nature. And uh, Wilbur Chapman got saved on the ministry of Dale Moody. And, and one day, Wilbur Chapman and his group from the YMCA 
was having a street meeting and a baseball player from the Chicago team. Uh, the team came by and they began to jeer at the, uh, the missionaries and uh, the uh, workers there that were having a street meeting and began to make fun of them and so forth. But the one baseball player, uh, he, he listened to the singing and listened to the preaching and he got under conviction and he stayed around. And Wilbur Chapman won a baseball player by the name of Billy Sunday to the Lord. And uh, Billy, Billy Sunday, uh, you know, he was a great baseball player or one of the best players on the team and so forth. But uh, Wilbur Chapman, he, he took him and discipled him. And, and pretty soon he got so interested in the gospel that he quit the baseball and started preaching the gospel. And Billy Sunday preached the gospel all over America. Thousands of people say, thousands and thousands. And one day Billy Sunday was preaching and a man by the name of Mordecai Ham got saved. Mordecai Ham, great evangelist. And one day Mordecai Ham was preaching in Charlotte, North Carolina and a country boy by the name of Billy Graham got saved. You think about it. Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball. Most people would have never heard of Edward Kimball. But only eternity will tell the result of one person witnessing. Who have you witnessed to recently? Oh, you say, well, I'm just one person. You know, I can't do, wait a minute. You never know what God may do when you tell somebody about Jesus and you never know what God may do in their lives. So many times if we're not careful, we think that when we read a prayer letter and the prayer letter is from, say, the Philippines or Taiwan or wherever it may be, and somebody got saved and we look at that and we say, now that's the result of our giving to missions. But that's not the result of your giving to missions. Because many times those people will become soul winners. Sometimes they'll become pastors. Sometimes they'll become evangelists. Sometimes they'll become missionaries. And they'll start churches and it just adds up and up and up. What difference can one person make? For many, many years I was a member of Highland Park Baptist Church, Chattanooga, Tennessee. And I believe one of the greatest, if not the greatest Christian of the 20th century, uh, the 21st century, was, no, it was the 20th century. I'm, we're in the 21st century, okay was Dr. Lee Robertson. And I've heard him tell time after time how as a country boy that his Sunday school teacher took an interest in him and Daisy Hall led Dr. Lee Robertson to the Lord. What difference can one person make? You want to have a good thought? Think of the person that influenced you for Christ. Does that make a difference or not? What difference does one person make going, knocking on doors, passing out pamphlets, passing out tracts, witnessing? What, what, difference can one per, what difference can one person make in their praying? What difference can one person make in their praying? More has been accomplished by prayer than man will ever know. What difference could one person make in prayer, you read the history of missions, you read the history of Christianity, 
And every great movement in, his, in the history of Christianity has begun with a prayer meeting. And sometimes there were only a few people started. What difference can one person make? What difference can one person make in giving? You know, if you're not careful when it comes time to make out your faith promise commitment card, and I, I have a card tonight, okay? And I, I love this, Pastor. It's very simple. Sometimes they make commitment cards so difficult I can't even understand them, okay? But this is a good one. This is a real good one. By faith in God, I promise to give X number of dollars per week above my tithe and offering to Central Baptist Church for world evangelization. <clears throat> what difference? I only have a little bit. Isn't it amazing? Throughout the Bible, you find out what God can do with little things. Moses, what do you have in your hand? Just a staff. That's all I need, okay? Put it out over the Red Sea. It opens up, you know, on and on, and all the way, just a little staff. Uh, what, what do you have in your house, lady? Just a little bit of oil and a little bit of meal. Okay. Go and bake a cake for me and give it to me, and then that meal and that oil will never run out until this famine is over. What do you have in your hand, son? Just five biscuits and two fishes. Give it to Jesus. I've often thanked God that that little boy wasn't a good Baptist. <clears throat> if he had been a good Baptist, you know what he said? I tell you what, Andrew, I'll tithe it. I see a lot of Baptists think they deserve a front seat in heaven if they tithe. Amen. <clears throat> but he didn't. I mean, it, 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 it's not the easiest thing in the world to get a lunch away from a little boy. But evidently, he just joyfully gave it to, to Andrew. And Andrew took it to Jesus. Just, just a little bit of bread, a little bit of fish. Only eternity could tell what God could do with you if you will give what you have to God totally, unconditionally, surrender it to him. What's your attitude? Is it calloused? Is it calculating? Is it cautious? Or is it compassion? Compassion. I'll never forget as long as I live. The night I got saved, <clears throat> the first thought I had the night I got saved was this. This is wonderful. That was 70 years ago. It's more wonderful tonight than it was then. It gets better all the time. But the next thought I had was, I sure wish my dad was saved. I've never seen my dad in church. He's a hard worker, coal miner, made a little, very little money. In fact, we never had any money. Everything we got came from the company store. Whoever wrote that song, I owe my soul to the company store. They knew all about that. But he drank a lot. He'd work hard all week, but every weekend he'd get drunk. And when he did, drunk people, they, you know, they're, they're controlled by alcohol. And he made life miserable for my mother, all of us, and so forth. I thought, I, I, I sure would like to see my dad saved. I began to pray for my dad's salvation, and 
After Virginia and I got married, we moved up to Gary, Indiana, and then they moved up that way. And uh, we were having a revival in the Black Oak Baptist Church. And uh, I, I, on, we, but before we had a revival, we had a two weeks of cottage prayer meetings. And I, I remember Brother Jones getting up one Sunday and saying, now, on this Monday night, we're going to have prayer meeting at this house, on this Monday night, you know, they, all through the week, prayer meeting. And then he said, on Friday night, we're going to have the prayer meeting at the uh, Galbert's home. And said, uh, Don, I want, and he picked the leader for every night. And he said, Don, I want you to take the lead in the Galbert's home for the prayer meeting. And I thought, well, I've never been to college prayer meeting, so I better go Monday night and see what they do. And I did, and guess what they did? They just, uh, about 15, 20 people was in that house, and uh, they uh, had a prayer list. They was making out a prayer list, putting down the names of the prayer list and everything. And they uh, uh, read some prayer break, promises from the Bible. And then they got down on their knees and prayed for about 45 minutes. I'd never prayed that long in my life. But I remember saying to him, my dad's here, is, is here in this area, and he's lost. He's 57 years old. Pray for my dad. And so every night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, we went to church. Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, went to college prayer meeting. Of course, Sunday went to church. Same thing the next week. By the middle of the second week of college prayer meeting, I was so burdened for my dad that I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep. Nothing meant anything to me. All I could think about was my dad is lost and going to hell. And I'd never seen my dad in church one time in all of my life. On Monday morning, before the revival started on, on, on Monday night, we had a preacher coming from Kentucky, Brother John Robinson. And I went by my mom and dad's trailer, and I said, uh, Papa, uh, we're having revival in our church. There's a man from Kentucky coming to preach. And, and, and I sure wish, hope that y'all can go with us some to the revival. And I'd been praying all week, and I'd been believing God. But I tell you, when he said what he had said, I, I couldn't hardly believe it. He said, I was just talking to your mom about that, and we'll go tonight if you'll come by and pick us up. <laughs> and I went to work at Keene's Foundry that day. I was a core maker. And I made cores all day, but I prayed all day. I didn't eat lunch. I prayed all the lunchtime. I went home that night, and I said to Virginia, and after I'd cleaned up and we'd eaten dinner and Got ready to go pick mom and papa up. And I said, now let's, let's get down and pray again that, that, that the devil won't mess this up. And we got by and they were ready to go. And we got to church that night and I went down to the prayer room and I said, fellas, my dad is here tonight. Please pray. And we did. We prayed. We had a great meeting that night. Brother Johnny Robinson got up and I mean, he preached the word of God. And by the way, it's a good thing he did. If he had a pussyfooted around that night, I'd have shot him, amen? <laughs> but, but he didn't. I mean, man, he preached the Bible very plain. I stand beside my dad, and I, I said, Papa, I've been praying for you for a long time. I'd sure like to see you saved. A big tears in his eyes. He said, son, I want to get saved. And I don't remember what happened for a few minutes. I mean, I lost it, okay? But my dad got saved that night. About a month later, he and I were driving down Colfax Avenue, and my brother's car was sitting by a, a tavern over there. It's called the Stummel Inn. If you didn't stumble in, you'd stumble out, okay? But anyway, uh, there was my brother's car over there. 
I looked at my dad. He had tears in his eyes. And he said to me, he said, son, I don't know why in the world Bo won't spend so much time in a place like that. And I thought, thank God he's born again. Can't even remember what he was a month ago. Amen. <laughs> but he lived to be 74 years old. I never heard him utter another curse word. I never, he never took another drink of whiskey or beer. Sometimes if I'm not careful, I get cold. I won't have the burden and compassion and concern that I need to have. You know what my prayer becomes? Dear God, give me a burden for this people. The people in Hattiesburg. The people wherever I might be that you gave me for my dad. And some, having compassion makes a difference. It's by our heads for prayer. I'm going to ask our pastor to come.